Hey, South and City Church, Jason here, and it's Palm Sunday. It's, it's not the Palm Sunday we thought we were going to have. It's Palm Sunday during a pandemic, uh, and yet here we are. And I'm talking to you from my basement, looking at a computer screen, but very much thinking of you and picturing your faces and um, feeling very deeply how I wish we were together. Um, we're going to get to Palm Sunday and talk about that and what it might mean for us, especially in the midst of everything going on. Uh, but first of all, a couple of other things to mention for you, other ways that we can still be South and City Church right now and live up to who we are. Uh, the first thing I want to tell you, and this is really important, um, is to have space uh, in our hearts and to do something for our friends at Hope Ministries. Uh, if you're part of South and City Church, you might know Hope. Um, Hope does a phenomenal job. Of, of helping our brothers and sisters uh, make their way out of homelessness. And many members of the Hope community are also members of South Bend City Church and, and vice versa. And we share the neighborhood. And our friends at Hope um, have had a really difficult week as they have suffered the loss of their friend and family member, a guy named Calvin. Uh, Calvin is a guy who came to Hope decades ago as a resident. And he found belonging and healing at Hope. And he went on to a staff role there where he was directing the kitchen. And, and that, he was doing that until he passed away last week. And so, um, so the whole Hope family is in grief and in mourning. And I think it'd be really great for us uh, to remember them in prayer and to hold space for them in our hearts. But uh, we don't just have that option. We have another way that we can tangibly show up for them right now too. And specifically, it'd be a way of sort of honoring Calvin uh, who ran the kitchen and helping them out which is to show up with some food um, for the people that they serve at Hope. Uh, every day, Hope provides lunch and dinner, not just for the residents of Hope, but for guests who, who wanna have a meal there too. And so uh, what they could use right now, and I'm sure that we could come through on some of this, is pre-cooked frozen meals. We're talking like get those disposable aluminum pans, like the kind that you can get at the grocery store, right? The bigger, the better. Like bust out your best lasagna or something like that, right? Uh, go ahead and make it at home and then freeze it and then bring it to Hope. You can drop meals off any day between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. at the front desk. And just make sure that you would inc include instructions for reheating the meal. But again, you've already cooked it and then you've frozen it and then you've brought it to them. Uh, I think it'd be great for a bunch of us to show up for our, our neighbors at Hope right now or something like that. If you have any questions about it, uh, email ryan at southbendcitychurch.com on our team. And uh, Ryan would be the right guy to ask if you're looking for any clarification. Um, but what a great moment for us to show up for our neighbors, right? Okay, so like I said, it's Holy Week and uh, it begins with Palm Sunday. But as we look forward um, toward the end of the week, we have Holy Thursday or Monday Thursday and Good Friday and Holy Saturday and, and Easter Sunday. And followers of Jesus all around the world will be observing these rhythms of remembrance and encounter with God and the story of God giving God's self to the world in Jesus. So this is a really sacred um, and kind of sober and ultimately incredibly joyful celebration that we look forward to. But we're going to take our time moving through the, the moments of this week. And now Thursday, like I said, is Monday Thursday. That's sort of the traditional name for it. And Monday comes from Latin for command. And the reason it's called that is because uh, that's the night that Jesus was with his friends in that upper room and they shared that meal that we now come back to that we call Eucharist or communion. But it's also the night that he wrapped a towel around his waist and washed his friend's feet. And he said, I command you, this new command, to love one another. So that's Thursday of this week. 
And if you've been tracking with us for the last couple of weeks, you know that we are releasing open floor episodes on the podcast every Thursday. And so I thought this week, rather than making the open floor questions about like a response to this Palm Sunday teaching, I'm just going to ask you to be the preachers of Monday Thursday for South Bend City Church. So, uh, so if you would call in with a response to what I'm going to share with you right now, and and like be one of the preachers that that takes us into the heartbeat of that day in Holy Week. And the questions are this: What's one clear picture of forgiveness that you have seen in your life? Or, what's one clear picture of love that you have seen in your life? It might be forgiveness or love that you've extended to someone else. It might be forgiveness or love that you've received. Uh, It might be something that feels like a very direct sort of encounter with God in the way that forgiveness and love are in the heart of God. Or it might be the way that that heart has shown up in a sort of everyday human story. But if you would, um, think about that over the next few days and then call in and talk to us about it. Leave a message and again, share one clear picture of forgiveness or love that you have seen or known in your life. Now, um, when you call in, the voicemail cuts off at two minutes. So that's, that's kind of a nice sort of benchmark, right? If you can, um, keep the story to maybe two minutes or less. But share something with us and be one of the preachers of Monday Thursday uh, to help us think about the meaning of these things as we think about how they were then expressed in Jesus and what that means about the heart of God. Uh, when you want to call in, we'll have this phone number in the episode notes on this episode too. But the number is 574-387-2151. Uh, again, you've got a few days to do that. And then on Thursday, oh no, what's the date going to be? i got to pull up my calendar. <laughs> on Thursday, April 9th, we're going to play that episode. And that'll be a way that we uh, sort of pay attention to the meaning of Monday, Thursday, it's Holy Week. Uh, one more note, and then I promise I'm jumping in, uh, which is we got a special Easter film that we are going to share with you on Easter Sunday. We don't do like video gatherings usually or ever so far, but we just thought this one Sunday, uh, Easter Sunday, while we are all unable to gather in person, what if we created a film? We're going to shoot it in 112 in the Studebaker space, and the seats will be empty, and that'll be very sad, but we are going to have some of the band there. And we're going to have readings from the scriptures and I'm going to um, preach an Easter message and we're going to have Eucharist, which will invite you to participate in wherever you are when you're watching it. Um, And so between now and Sunday, make sure that you've got like bread and wine or crackers and juice or something that works for everyone who wants to be a part of that wherever you are. And then when you wake up Easter morning, we're going to have that video posted and you'll be able to participate in Easter worship with us through that film. Uh, So look forward for that. And uh, before I jump into Palm Sunday teaching, just a note that if your income has not been disrupted um, and if regular giving has been a part of your practice with Sopin City Church, um, we invite you to continue to do that. You can always do it online. Just go to sopincitychurch.com slash give and uh, you can continue to support uh, Sopin City Church while this strange and very unpredictable time is happening with all of us. All right, uh, let's jump into Palm Sunday. I don't know if this is a day that has a lot of memory and connection for you, or if it's brand new to you. Maybe you grew up in a church where they like actually brought in palm fronds and had some kind of, you know, strange procession or something like that. Uh, Maybe you loved it. Maybe it was weird. Or maybe you have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm going to unpack this for us. But I mean, this is the day uh, toward the end of Jesus's life during that last week where he actually, after having set his sights on Jerusalem for a while, comes into the city of Jerusalem. 
Uh, this is a big dramatic moment when a bunch of people seem to recognize that something important is going on with Jesus. Now, I'm actually going to um, start in a part of the story that's a little less familiar for Palm Sunday. And then I'm going to come back to the part where Jesus comes in on that donkey and the, the, the events that you're familiar with are happening. But uh, in Luke's gospel, which is one of the places in the New Testament where you can read the story of Palm Sunday, we read that as Jesus was coming near the city and he sees Jerusalem, the scripture says he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus has a glimpse of the holy city, this place that is saturated with memory and expectation. It's sort of ground zero for the people's experience of God. It's also the place where they vested a lot of their political hopes and their fears. All that stuff is churned up in this place called Jerusalem. And Jesus is coming near the city. And when he sees the city, he, he weeps. He breaks down with grief. And he says, if you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but they are hidden from your eyes. Uh, this is the place I actually want to start when we think about Palm Sunday. I want to start with this lament that comes from Jesus. Uh, I want to start there for a couple of reasons. For one thing, um, because of the power of what a lament reveals, uh, you, you can only lament, I think, from a place of love, from a place of commitment. Uh, I don't think you weep at a place of detachment, right? I don't think you weep if your heart is far away from the place or the people for whom you're crying. I don't, I don't think weeping comes from distance or detachment. It only comes from a deep sort of enmeshment. It comes from a place of love. And before I go any further into the meaning of this lament, I, I just want to observe um, that like again and again in this story with Jesus, if you locate God in the life of Jesus, then like you, you are seeing this um, stunning picture of love and attachment and commitment uh, of, a, of a God who is so wrapped up in us and our, our failures and our hopes and our memories um, that, that God would weep when living this life through Jesus. And here he weeps specifically because they do not know the things that make for peace. Well, peace is a, a big, strong word in the Bible. Uh, don't think absence. Don't think like, oh, just everything's fine. You've got to go way bigger and, and richer than that to get your hands on a biblical idea of peace. Think abundance. Think harmonies. Think of a choir. Think of every part in its place deeply related to every other part of the whole. Think of all the severed or disrupted relationships being healed. And I'm talking about all the relationships, like the ones that we have with one another personally and in our neighborhoods and among our communities, all the way up to geopolitics. I'm talking about the way that we relate to the natural world around us, to our ecosystem and the ways that that is disrupted or but it could be healed. And I'm thinking about the way that we relate to God, uh, to spirit, the, the way that we relate to source, to, to that which lends life to all of this. And you hear the word peace and you've got to imagine all of that healed and in harmony and made right. And then you hear Jesus weeping because of the ignorance uh, 
that perpetuates disharmony and conflict. And he looks upon the city full of people and he says, you don't know what makes for peace. And to be honest, um, those words, it, it just feels to me that they apply pretty easily to what we are seeing right now. What I mean by that is this pandemic is sweeping the world. And a lot of people are talking about the ways that things are changing or will change because of COVID-19. But I, I think before COVID-19 changes anything, it's showing us something. That before it changes anything, it reveals things, right? Like, like when, when this happens, it shows us that in spite of all of our advancements, in spite of all the ways that we're enlightened, in spite of how far we've come as a human species or a society, it seems that one of the things that COVID-19 is showing us is we still don't know the things that make for peace. That what might have seemed like peace before, just like a few days or weeks ago, it might have been a bit of a veneer, right? Like a, like a thin lining just um, on top of, of a reality where things actually remain deeply and tragically broken. I mean, it seems like just a few days ago, it was common to hear people talk about the uncommon strength of this economy, right? And like, how many days could you see record numbers on the Dow Jones and uh, record low unemployment rates and all this kind of stuff, right? And it's been going on for a long time. We're years into an economic recovery. It's a long stretch of what has been described as growing prosperity, right? Like we've been hearing about that for a while. And then it's like, I don't know how you saw this or experienced it, but like to me, I like it was like COVID-19 had been a, a, a reality in the United States for like a day. And I started hearing about people losing their jobs. And now I, I don't know about you, maybe, maybe you're somebody who lost your job or maybe you know people who've lost their jobs. And, we, you know, we're discovering that um, even in like the biggest, baddest, strongest economy the world has ever seen, an alarming number of people were just like one domino falling away from being in really dire circumstances economically. I mean, it's like if COVID is showing us some things, it's showing us perhaps that like, that number on the stock market can't really describe the overall health of our financial arrangements as a society and whether they're arranged in a way that makes for peace, for wholeness, for belonging, for security for everyone, right? Uh, how about this? Like We have church leaders defying government orders to suspend gatherings as if faith makes them and their congregations immune from this common fate, fate that we are fighting together. Yeah. And like, maybe the things they were preaching and the churches they were leading like looked good. But man, when um, that kind of hubris is on display, it becomes apparent that things weren't good, right? Those church leaders are defying government orders all the while healthcare workers are on the front lines fighting for the lives of their patients, fighting for their own lives. And if we really knew the things that make for peace, we wouldn't have people in pulpits doing exactly the things that are making more vulnerable the people in our hospitals right now.
right? Um, far too many of us have thought that we could secure a peace for ourselves individually, like for me or for my people or my family, while ignoring our neighbors, as if peace could mean anything if it isn't for everyone. As if peace could be sort of parceled out on an individual basis when the whole point of it is that it's about our interrelatedness, our connectedness. So like I said, it, it seems like, um, yeah, COVID-19 is changing some things and I, I hope it does. I hope on the other side of this, some things have changed, but first it's revealing some things. And I suspect that a lot of what it's revealing, Jesus might be here today weeping and saying to us too, don't you see? Like what's being revealed right now is that, that, that peace was just a thin veneer covering up a lot of vulnerable and broken places in the world that you have created. And by you, I mean us. Like we, we have created this world with these fractures, these vulnerabilities and these weak links that leave some people behind. And um, I can't help but imagine that Jesus would be weeping over that right now too. Now, here's what's interesting. Is I also think that in this, this Palm Sunday moment, Jesus shows us what makes for peace. So now let me go back to the part of the story that might be a little more familiar. Sort of the headline on Palm Sunday is that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and he's riding a donkey. And in at least Matthew's telling of it, there is a, a crowd that gathers around him and they start shouting things like Hosanna, which means save now. And they're quoting Psalm 118. And this whole action with Jesus being on the donkey is also this um, Old Testament Hebrew scripture thing from Zechariah 9, where we read about a king who will come lowly and riding on a donkey. So we're going to get to more of that in a minute. But Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem during the time of Passover, and it's a big dramatic deal. But Jesus is not doing this in a vacuum. So this is where the historians are really helpful uh, because, you know, the gospels aren't really written with the assumption of, of the things that we don't know in the year 2020, right? Uh, they're written more. Uh, with an assumption of what their readers would have known in their original audience. And so what we know from the historians now is that though Jesus is entering Jerusalem for, from the east during the time of Passover, there is somebody else who had a habit of entering Jerusalem during the time of Passover in a kind of procession, and his name was Pilate. And Pilate is the Roman governor or sort of um, regional ruler whose job it is to oversee this part of the Roman Empire on behalf of the Romans. So here's the deal. You're Pilate, and you're in charge of the, the Jewish people, and they're a little part of the Roman Empire. And the Jewish people have this holiday every year called Passover. Well, what's Passover? Passover is when the Jewish people remember that back in the day, generations earlier, that they were oppressed by a superpower called Egypt. And that God, God heard, heard their cries of oppression and did something to liberate them from the power of their oppressors and bring them to a free land where they were free and independent. Now, if you're the Roman power who happens to be currently occupying and oppressing the Jewish people, and you know that the Jewish people are getting all riled up in this holiday where they remember their God who liberates them from oppressors, you're probably concerned about this, right? Not to mention the fact that during Passover, the city of Jerusalem goes from a city of about 50,000 people to a city of about 200,000 people in the city for the holiday, right? So it, uh, from what we know from historians, Pilate has this habit of putting on a show of force during Passover where he shows up entering the city from the west with a cavalry on horseback and foot soldiers and weapons and banners and like golden eagles mounted on poles. 
And that's the backdrop to Jesus entering Jerusalem from the east on a lowly donkey. So I'm, I'm saying make no mistake about this, guys. Jesus knows what he's doing. This is um, what you might call a parody. <laughs> this is a, a kind of statement in, in response to sort of grabbing the imagery of Pilate and flipping it on its head and entering in a very, very different kind of way, powerless on a laughable animal. And the people are crying out, Hosanna, save us, save us now. They're crying out in, in sight of this laughable parody of a military parade. Zechariah 9, uh, which Jesus seems to be sort of uh, leveraging in this moment, that's that Old Testament prophecy which says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then we hear the voice of God speaking, saying, I will take away the chariots of Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. And the battle bow will be broken, and he will proclaim peace to the nations. So here we have Jesus entering the city in a sort of ridiculous way, in a parody of the way that Pilate enters the city. Pilate enters the city trying to look as powerful as possible. And Jesus finds this lowly donkey. It's a way of entering the city as humble as possible. And he knows that these people around him will call, will recall to mind that that text from Zechariah that promises that peace will actually come. And then Jesus a moment later finds himself weeping over the city saying, if only you knew the things that make for peace. It's as if to say the things that make for peace are when all the things that look powerful are brought down by that which looks powerless. I'll say that again. It's as if the things that make for peace are that when all the things that look powerful are brought down by that which looks powerless, when humility shows up. Now that'll preach, it'll preach uh, for first century Jews who are dealing with the oppression of the Romans. And I think it'll preach for us today who are seeing um, in the wake of COVID-19, all that is not peace in our world. All that's not harmony in the world, all that's not right in our world the way that COVID is just sort of exacerbating all those vulnerabilities. And it's like, okay, great. So it's being revealed. Well, what are we going to do about it? And if Palm Sunday shows us anything, if Jesus is trying to teach us anything in what he's doing, it might be that, um, that the calling is then in response to everything we see right now. I, I know like you want to feel powerful in, in the face of COVID-19, don't you? You want to feel powerful in the face of a failing economy. You want to feel powerful in the face of unemployment. You want to feel powerful in the face of sickness. You want to feel powerful in the face of poor political leadership. You want to feel powerful in these moments. But maybe the invitation here is to take the humble path and lay down the things that look like power. Yeah. Uh, that will preach to everything from our personal lives to our politics, I think, right? That as we are waking up to all that is broken, as we are seeing the veneer peeled back, the veneer that looked like peace but wasn't, and as that, that, that thing rattles in our chest that says we want to do something about it, may we see the example of Jesus who's trying to show us that the way that you make peace is you lay down the things that look powerful. 
because they aren't powerful for peace. And instead you take the humble path. And perhaps you leave room for God. Perhaps you leave room for the mystery. Um, I mean, maybe part of the point is that like peace isn't the kind of thing that we bring on our own. In that same moment in Luke when Jesus weeps over the city, he also says, you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Now, that can be kind of maybe heavy-handed sounding, but I think we could agree it's far too easy to ignore the mystery that has given us this life together. Far too easy to cling to the illusion that we are the masters of our destinies rather than sit with the humbling and humanizing recognition that we are part of something much bigger than ourselves. So where in the last few days, weeks, where, where, where have you seen the revelation that there is not peace? Uh, maybe your, your marriage is especially struggling under the, the weight of COVID. I don't know. Maybe it's just the time together is really hard. Maybe you're bumping into the fact that it's hard to make two lives work together in one space. Uh, maybe it's with the kids. I don't know. Um, and maybe the, the impulse, the temptation then is to kind of like rise up, right? To, to try to kind of make yourself powerful in that circumstance. And instead, maybe, maybe the other move is the one that makes for peace. Maybe it's that you don't try to control it. That you don't try to make yourself above it, but you simply sort of become humble before it and you open your hand and, um, you realize you might look like a bit of a fool, but trying to look strong hasn't gotten you very far. So maybe it's time for a different tack. Or maybe uh, you look for that to be the space for a visitation from God. For that to be the space where you just try to open up and, and leave room for the mystery that exists in your midst. Um, of the God that sort of holds you together. Um, and a bit of surrender might yield to a kind of peace that you've not been able to manufacture by powering your way through it, right? Maybe it's um, as you begin to look at something systemic that's just not right, and maybe you're close enough to it, maybe you have something you could do about it, and maybe the, the first temptation is um, that like the ego sees this as a moment to make yourself large in the world. And I'm not saying ego is all bad. I mean, ego is a really good driver and a lot of good gets done from people who have healthy egos. But what if like, as you move toward that broken place in the world, what if, what if you realize that there's a way of coming at it like pilot and you come out with guns blazing, showing how strong you are. And it seems like that's the kind of thing that would put things back together. And yet, if you think for, about it for, for a moment, you can think of other moments, examples in your life or that you've seen elsewhere where showing up guns blazing, making yourself powerful, it didn't actually put things back together. And so you still come at it brave. You still come at it committed. You still come at it with some conviction and some fire in your chest, but you come at it humble. And you don't mind whether others think that you look strong or impressive as you come at it. You just come at it humble. And you lay down some of the things that look like power. And as you do that, you leave room for the mystery. For a visitation from God who might want to be at work in you and through you. Who might want to collaborate with you on that project. But only if you make room for that. We could go on, but I'm trying to get at sort of everything from our personal lives to our politics. 
that it's clear as much as ever that we don't know the things that make for peace because COVID has ripped off the veneer and shown us broken places that I think some of us were far too naive about. And as we see that, I think it's the Palm Sunday Jesus who is saying, just as you don't know the things that make for peace, I'm trying to show you what makes for peace. And it, and it happens when you lay down the things that look like power and you leave room for the mystery. Even as you move at it with conviction and you give it everything you've got and you live really brave, you also open your hand and you soften your stance. And then you see if perhaps that's a way forward for making some kind of peace. So, um, so this Holy Week, friends, may you know the Christ who weeps. May you know the Christ who is close enough, who is in this with us enough that he weeps over our cities and over our families and over our nation and over our world and over any place where anything is not at peace. May you see Christ in every act of humility, in every act of generosity, in every act of love that is being so bravely displayed in this strange and tragic, but also strangely beautiful season that we are living through right now. And may you set your sights this holy week on Jesus who wraps a towel around his waist and commands his friends to love as he loves. May you go with Jesus this week to his death this Good Friday so that you may know the God who gives God's self for the world and so that you may know the power of the resurrection this Easter. I love you, friends. Uh, I can't wait to hear you preach to us on Monday, Thursday. So call in and talk to us about forgiveness and love. Uh, let's show up for our friends at Hope. Uh, let's pray and reflect our way through this week, and then we will look forward to celebrating Easter. So much grace and peace.